I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Um, I've never been this far into California, so uh, I'm, I'm excited, and I've only been here for about 20 minutes, so I haven't, haven't seen much, but uh, we were over in Los Angeles, but I can already tell I like the traffic here a lot better than Los Angeles. I don't know why people would live there. Um, that would just be insanity. Uh, I appreciate Jason so much. Like you said, we've been friends for a long time. We kind of came over. We were doing some stuff in L.A. this weekend and came over to see them. And so I got the opportunity to speak to you all as well, which I'm grateful for. The The one thing Jason didn't mention is we also we do a podcast together along with a sister in Reno. And we have a blast. And it's great because people listen to it and we don't care. Um, we do it because we have fun and we enjoy it. And uh, so we get to. I'll kind of get on a, a Zoom-type call every week and hang out and have a good time and, and do that. So it keeps our friendship going. So let me talk to you today. Let's jump right in. Um, and I'll tell you a story here at first. Uh, I get to travel a lot, or I might say I have to travel a lot. I don't love to travel, but I do because it's kind of what God has called me to do. And so one time in particular... I was in Zimbabwe. We travel a lot in Africa over the years. And it was the first time I'd ever been in the airport in Harare, Zimbabwe. And I got there, and I was there for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden I was like, I really need to go to the bathroom. And so I got up, and I started to look, and I walked down, and I was like, there's no bathroom here. That's odd. And so then I went down another hallway and another one, and and I've been walking for like 10 minutes. I couldn't find a bathroom. There was no signs. I'm looking for signs. And I'm like looking up like there's got this looks like the kind of place that would have a bathroom and nothing. And so now it's like starting to get, you know, to that level. You know, you start thinking of alternate ideas and none of them are probably legal or very good. And and I'm like, how do you have this huge airport and no bathroom? And I literally was at like this panic moment. And then I saw this hallway and I was like, there has to be a bathroom down this hallway. There has to be. So I walked down and sure enough, at the end of it, there was. And as I walked in, I realized that above it, it didn't say toilet or bathroom. Because actually most airports around the world world just use the word toilet. But I was so locked in on that word that I didn't see it. And there above it was the letters WC. Now, if you're older, you know that that's like this really. And it hit me. It was like, oh, my gosh, it's water closet. It's a British term. And because Zimbabwe was at one time a British colony, they've kept that term. And then as I came back, I started looking. I was like, I'm seeing WC signs everywhere pointing to the bathrooms but I was so locked in and sure that I knew what I knew that I was kind of missing what was right in front of me you with me okay with that in mind let's think of Genesis 1 now in Genesis 1 God is creating ordering the world and it says in verse 27 kind of the apex of creation at the at the pinnacle of creation, it says, God decided to make human beings in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. The Bible 
if, you know, Moses is writing this in the, somewhere around the 15th century BC, Moses, the Bible, however you want to word it, did not invent this idea of image bearing, at least at that moment it didn't. The idea of image bearing was well known in the ancient world before the Bible was written and, and all of that. It was a, it was a concept that was well known, and God does that a lot. He'll use terminology that we know to explain what he's doing and explain himself. But in the ancient world, image bearers were the most elite people in society. There was only a handful and oftentimes only one image bearer at a time in any given culture. Image bearers were usually reserved for the role of the king. Because an image bearer represented or reflected the character, the will, the authority, the personhood of the God into the world. And who could do that? Only the most elite. Only the greatest warriors or the biggest nobles or the priests, but usually just the king. And certainly, let's not go crazy, not women. This is the attitude of the ancient world. Genesis comes in and turns that all on its head and says, let me tell you the purpose and the intention that God had in mind when he created humanity. He created everyone to be image bearers, male and female. No hierarchy, no levels of importance and status, no power over, no I'm better than you and I'm more noble and I was born greater and with the touch of the gods and all that kind of stuff. He's like, no, that was not the intention of humanity. The divisions that that creates, the inequities that that creates, whether it's status or gender or whatever. He's like, no, God made human beings to be, first of all, a community. Not as individuals. Second, he made us to be equal, to be unified, to not have the levels and the steps and the divisions. Human beings created that idea. Well, that really comes in in chapter 3 when the serpent convinces human beings that we are greater than the call of being image bearers. Right? Satan says... Surely you can be like the gods. You can be greater than image bearers. You can look out for yourselves. You can make decisions for yourself. And so ever since then, human beings have been kind of chasing after and looking out for ourselves and trying to get ahead. And I'm superior and you're inferior. And we have all these divisions and fights and we label one another. And you're an idiot and you're part of that group and you're this and that. And it's it all goes back to this lie that we are somehow better than image bearers. The irony of that, of course, and the problem is that there is a class of creature that God created to do nothing more than look out for their own interests. That's animals. So when we do that, when we are looking out for our own self-interest, Putting ourselves ahead of others, we are actually acting like animals. So in a creation that was supposed to be a community of image bearers, a serpent comes in and convinces humans that they can be more than that and they actually become less. They become like the beast and the tables get turned. Does that make sense? So image bearers means community and equality 
But there's a third element to it as well. See, image bearers reflect, as I said, the character, the nature, the, the personhood, the will of God. So if we are to be a community of equality and unity, then we are to tell the truth about who God is. We reflect God. That's what a community is supposed to do. An image-bearing community is one that tells the truth about who God is by our actions. Not by what we say. By how we act. By how we treat one another. By how we treat the, the most vulnerable. By how we care for one another. In fact, I learned a lesson about that recently from my dog. We have two dogs. We had two dogs. We had an older little guy and then a, a bigger female dog that we, we've had the older guy for almost 17 years, the female for four and a half years. And as soon as we got the female, she was actually a rescue dog, she came in right away and started caring for our older dog. And one of the things that she would do is every time he would go out and lift his leg, she would wait and watch over him. And then when she was done, she would go and go over him, whatever his spot was. And I was like, what is she doing? So I looked it up. She was actually masking over his scent because he was weak and vulnerable. And so she was caring for him by covering over his scent, making sure that no predators could smell a weakness. And she took care of him until about two weeks ago we had to say goodbye to him. And she's a little bit of a mess right now. And I looked that up as well because with a dog pack, they tend to order themselves. Uh, and I'm not saying we should be like a dog pack, but there's one little lesson in here. The, the point of the dog pack is to protect the most vulnerable member. That's the point of the dog pack. That's what they do. And so when the most vulnerable member dies, the whole pack goes into mourning because they don't know what to do anymore. What's our purpose now? I think that's a little bit of a picture of the image-bearing community, of equality that takes care of those in need, that takes care of the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized, that sort of thing. But here's why I say all this. We get so locked into a different way of looking at our faith, at Christianity and the Bible, that we tend to miss most of that. We live in a culture that is hyper-individualized. Everything about it is constantly forming us, transforming us, discipling us, changing us to think individually, to, to have imaginations that are limited to the individual. And we even come together in church and we tend to be an affinity group of individuals who go to the same place because we believe the same things, but we're not, it's hard for us to even grasp what a community is what it's supposed to be, what that vision of it is. So it's like me walking around so locked in looking for the word toilet that I'm missing what's right in front of me. And we're, we're so locked in to this individual way of thinking. Think of everything we do even tends to form us that way. The way we study the Bible is individual. The way we pray is individual. The, all the things we do form us as individuals. And we, we miss being the image-bearing community. Does that make sense so far? Okay? Think of throughout the Old Testament. 
God is always trying to form a people. In Exodus 19.6, he says, I will have for myself a kingdom of priests. That's the same idea as an image-bearing community. I will have a group of people that are all priests. They're all equal. That will represent me. A community, equality, representation. That's what God wants. He says it over and over again in Leviticus. I will be your God. You will be my people. As the Old Testament comes to a close, we often think of, okay, the Old Testament's coming to a close. Why Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? Oh, because He came so that my personal sins could be forgiven and I could be reconciled with God and then one day I could go to heaven. That's what we emphasize. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but if you go back and look, it's not really the emphasis of the New Testament. That's really not trumpeted as much as you might think it is. The problem at the end of the Old Testament, in fact, oh, well, it must have been that sins couldn't be forgiven, so Jesus had to come so sins couldn't be forgiven. No, that's not true. The temple was still operating. Sacrifices could be made. They weren't permanent forgiveness, but you could still have forgiveness of sin. Well, okay, I mean, there, there had to be something. Nobody was worshiping God. Jesus had to come so people could worship God again. That's not true. Look at the beginning of the New Testament. People like Zechariah and Simeon. There were all kinds of people worshiping God in truth and that understood and waiting for him to do what he was going to do. One of the main things that Jesus came to do was form a people. God had formed Israel, but he had granted Israel the certificate of divorce. He did not have a corporate agent. God has never stated, I want a bunch of individuals to come spend the rest of their lives with me. He always says, I want a people to represent me. That's a different mentality. An affinity group that all believes the same things, that comes together because we believe the same things, that is a recipe for fracture. Because as soon as I believe something that you don't, and I don't like the way you believe that, and, you didn't, and, and, and we've hyperized that in our culture now, it's like this death spiral of purity. Of like, well, you might agree with me 99%, but that 1%, I'm out of here. Right? That's the way we've become. Oh, you're not a real whatever I am because you don't believe. And we have all these tests and shibboleths and, and you know, markers. And it's a recipe for fracture. It's a different thing if you see yourself as who I am fundamentally is community. That's what God is doing. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be part of the God community. Does that make sense? We were baptized into one body. So that's where it kind of leaves off. And Jesus comes and forms in himself a people. And the New Testament says that Jesus was the image bearer. He was the restoration. And in him we are being restored to this image. And again, we see that language throughout the New Testament that we are a people a community of equality representing God as a people. The way we read the Bible, we tend to individualize it. We read the Bible and we go immediately, what does this mean for me today? 
But most of the Bible was written with the idea of how it would form us as God's people. Together. United. And so, again, it's a different mentality. Instead of like, well, I now think this and I'm going to go off on my own. It's like, it's a much harder thing when I'm committed and part of this community. And we have to give and take and figure it out and work together and represent God as a people. Because that's what God wants. Here's the reality. I cannot be an image bearer by myself. I simply can't. God is too big. Too marvelous, too wonderful. I can't represent and tell the truth about God by myself. I can't demonstrate his selflessness, his sacrifice for the benefit of others, his giving, his serving, his kindness. See, we need each other to be that picture of God. Now, here's where it gets interesting, though. Because, okay, I have some visuals here. Here we go. It's a nice... Oh, let's get the all blue so you're not confused. All right. So, the way the Bible represents... And we're going to look at some scripture here in just a minute, but I want to set this up. The way the Bible represents reality is that we are here... This world is what the Bible calls the present age. Sometimes it calls it the dominion of darkness... This, this generation, uh, the, you know, the dark, all these kind of things. Present, dark, dominion. These are all the present age sort of reality that we live in, right? And this age is marked by the powers and authorities, the sermon, the dynamics of the old creation. It's division, it's sin, it's hate, it's war, it's bombs, bullets, barbed wire, barriers, all those sorts of things, the dynamics of the old creation. We know how to operate in the old creation. We know how to get ahead in the old creation. It's power. It's big bank take little bank. It's manipulation. It's, you know, I force my way. I, I am stronger than you, so I get what I want. It's, it's dividing. It's conflict. It's all of those things. It's the world in which we live. And we don't really know anything different. Now, how do you represent God in this age? If all you have available to you is the dynamics of this age, really the only way to do it is to form sort of a monk-like community that is quarantined, that is separate. Stay away from the influence of the present age and just be, you're called out. You're going to be separate and holy and different and have nothing to do with that age. And that's somewhat of the vocation of Israel, is don't be sullied by this present age. And this makes sense. Now, what they believed, the Jews and early Christians and so on, is the great hope, though, is that that age would end one day and a new age would come. This is a cool new age, right? So... You know, this is two-dimensional. This is three-dimensional. It's different. And they would call this the age to come or the realm. Sometimes they would call it, Paul would refer to this as the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. And we think he's talking about individuals, but he's talking about these realms, these ages. And this age that was to come 
would be the solution to all that had gone wrong here. It would be the image-bearing community in God's presence, living the way God designed humanity to live. There would be no hate. There would be no division. There will be no tears. There will be none of that. We will, we will live for the benefit of one another. We will work together. There won't be the steps and the hierarchies and the divisions and all of those things and the power games and all the dynamics of the old creation will be gone and this will be the new creation. What a great hope. One day that age will end. God will send His Messiah and the new age will dawn. This is how they were reading the Old Testament. And this all made sense until Jesus came and messed it all up. <laughs> he really did. He messed it all up. And it's why, particularly, I think, for the Jews, Paul will talk about Jesus is kind of a stumbling block for the Jews. They have a hard time with it. Because what would distinguish these two ages, how you would know you were going from this age to this age, was when the Messiah's turn, God's people would be resurrected. All the righteous would be resurrected, is what they believed, and this age would begin. But now, all of a sudden, you got these guys going around saying, no, the Messiah came and he was resurrected. But this didn't end. So now you're claiming that resurrection happened, but this is still going on? That makes no sense. This was supposed to end. But instead what they're preaching is somehow, some way, this broke into this present age. This age to come, through the death of Christ, and through the resurrection, it, it broke in. And now there's this overlap. And it's confusing. Because it makes sense how to live in this age. We know, we know how to get ahead here, right? It's big bank, take little bank. It makes sense how to live in this age because we'll all be transformed in the spirit-driven life and we'll wake up without all the selfish desires and that sort of stuff. It makes sense. The, the values of no hate, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, it will, this will all be a reality. That makes sense. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is when they overlap and now we're told live as though you're in this reality, but you're in this. That's where it gets confusing. How's that supposed to work? Mm, that's a lot harder. Right? This is what Paul is going to try to explain to the congregation in Rome. Turn over to Rome, Romans chapter 12. And so think of that dynamic of the two realms or the two ages, and you'll start to see it. Actually, the early Christians after the apostolic age, the Christians of the late 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century, continued that idea, but they referred to it as the two paths. They talked about, but it's, this, it's the same thing as the two realms, and they were like, you know, there's, there's a choice here, and you're walking on one path, but you're surrounded by the other path. Okay? So in Romans 12, 
Notice he says, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, by the way, you probably know this, but I'll just say this for point of, you know, in danger of being repetitive. In the New Testament, when you read the word you, don't read the word you, because we will misread it. Because what we read is I. Therefore, I urge me, personally. But in almost every case, it's the plural. It's I urge you all. It's forming us as a people. That's a different way of approaching our faith than reading the Bible. I'm not saying our individual choices themselves don't matter, but I'm saying we're not in danger of neglecting the individual in our culture. What I'm saying is we first should ask, how is this forming us as a people? What kind of people is this forming? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let me ask you a question. If you're a Jew in the first century and somebody talks about offering a sacrifice, what vocation are you referring to? Priest, right? There's that idea. You all together as a community are priests representing God. It's the same idea. So he's talking about an image-bearing community here. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is while you live in this mess, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He then goes on in the next section and says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. You were made to belong to one another. This is the next several verses. Skip down to verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. Now, it's easy to read this from an individualist mindset. Read it from a collective point of view. How does it form us? Love must be sincere. Imagine getting ahead in this world, in this age, where you are a group of people that your first and most important instinct is to sincerely love everyone around you. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. Yeah, it sounds like a sucker to me. (laughs) Sounds like a mark. Right? By the dynamics of this age, you go around and just love everybody indiscriminately. Guess who's getting ripped off real quick? That's just honest, right? This isn't easy. And people don't just love everybody who loves everybody. You start living by the dynamics of, there's no hierarchy, there's no power. We're not playing old creation dynamics here. You find out real quick how unpopular that actually is. Hey, what is evil? Cling to what is good. This is the kind of people we're called to be. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. He's teaching us how to live in this realm of new creation. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in your hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it means while we're living out in this overlap, we're driven by the fact that this age is more of a reality than this age. This is what informs us. That's what hope means. I let the reality of this coming future age drive my actions 
rather than what's going to get me ahead or work in the present age. That's no longer, for an image-bearing community, that's no longer a question. And if you think, oh, yeah, I got that, that's easy, then you don't got it. (laughs) To suddenly everything we've been taught about how to be successful and how to operate in this world is no longer our goal. It's to represent God. It's to tell the truth about God, not to gain power and be successful. But we're so convinced, even as Christians, well, how are we going to influence the society? We've got to get bigger. We've got to have more of an influence. We've got to have cultural power. We've got to you know, pass laws. We've got to do all this. And Jesus kept saying, yeah, don't do that. The Gentiles lord power over one another. I, I, that's off limits for you. Because power is a dynamic of the old creation. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Each one of these could be a sermon in itself. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, come on. We've all read that, and we say that, and then we jettison that as soon as somebody actually persecutes us. Oh, I'll bless them after I talk behind their back for about an hour. I know, I'm guilty. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. These are community qualities. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If we don't have people of low position in our communities, we've done something wrong. We missed something. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath or His judgment. It's not up to us. Revenge, vengeance, violence, strength, all those sorts of things. He says, that's not your realm. Those are the dynamics of the old creation. Those things are off limits to you. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because the way my mind works, if I'm listening to all this and I'm living in the first century and I'm like, okay, he's teaching us the behavior of our realm and what it looks like to live in this overlap period, be this overlap people, then if we're supposed to be the new humanity of the new creation living by these new dynamics, then you know what we really got to do? We got to get rid of this whole system. Empires, strength, big corporations, power, War, division, we, let's just get rid of it. How do you get rid of it? Power. Strength. Right? We just move it on out of the way. That's a problem, isn't it? So Paul's going to start answering that. And he says in chapter 13, let everyone, who's the everyone? The Christian community. This goes for all of us. Be subject to the governing authorities. What? Wait, what? Oh, we're supposed to be a people of the new age. Now we've got to be subject 
to the empires of the old age. Why? This is important to understand. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So he goes on, basically, don't rebel against those authorities. He's not saying these are good. This is your realm. You know, do whatever they tell you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is understand the nature of this realm. It is what it is. God allows it to exist. He allows there to be empire and governments and authorities. And they have the sword. And they can use power. And they can use the power of the sword to enforce. And he he says, in fact, that's needed to a degree in the present age. If you wipe that out, the present age is really going to go crazy. We've seen that in microcosm where we'll go into a country and wipe out a dictator and then it gets ten times worse because at least that dictator was keeping order. So this is what Paul is saying. Governments are supposed to do good. They may not, but at least they keep a certain amount of order in the present age. They allow, in a strange sort of irony of God using evil for good, they allow the overlap community to exist. They give us space for us to exist. Sometimes they go rogue and they persecute the overlap community. And you can see that in the book of Revelation for how to respond to when that happens. But he says, don't try to wipe them away. But don't think you're part of that realm either. You see what I'm saying? Don't get caught up in those dynamics. So we'll say, well, you know, Christians will be like, well, can we get involved in politics? Yeah, to the degree that you keep the new creation dynamics. As soon as you start drifting into old creation dynamics, we're not the image-bearing people anymore. And it's no longer on display. And that's a constant temptation. Because we think strength, might, power, hierarchy is the way to get it done. And what we see, there's a danger throughout the New Testament that even God's people amongst ourselves can really be sincere about wanting to be God's people, but start operating with the old creation dynamics in our own circle. Right? So it's constantly be aware for those dynamics. And it's really hard to retrain ourselves. So this is what he's saying, and he he finishes off this section. Give to everyone, this is verse 7, What you owe them, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Your job is not to overthrow the authority of the present age, but it is to understand that God has allowed them to exist, but that's not our realm. The violence, the vengeance, the power. We're not trying to gain cultural control. We are trying to tell the truth about God. Does that make sense? Then he turns back to them in verse 8 and says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Imagine a community that said our only weapon is love. That's the only way we can engage. That's the only dynamic we have. we got to have some influence and power. No, Jesus said, no. 
We're so convinced that power will get us there. But when Jesus came and Satan himself came to Jesus and said, I will give you all the power of the world. I will make you dictator of the world, president of the world, king of the world. And we think that's a pretty good deal because who would be a better king than Jesus? Jesus said, it will be better for me to go to the cross and lay my life down. That's better for the world than me being king. But we didn't believe him. So we're trying to always set up Jesus as king, but somehow when we do that, Jesus as king looks suspiciously like us. Right? Then Paul finishes up, and he uses this beautiful metaphor in verse 11 of chapter 13. He says, do this, understanding the present time. Keep thinking in these two realms, these ages. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day's almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 13 is still a metaphor. Don't make this into a sin list. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, the flesh realm. So what's he saying? This is the darkness. We're in it. What do you do in the dark? There's two main activities that people do in the dark. One, sleep. What's the other one? (laughs) She just went right in. All right. All this stuff that you shouldn't be doing. Carousing, debauchery, the sorts of lists that he gives there, right? He's like, people are up to no good. Now, I know there's other things. Some people work at night and all that, but he's using a metaphor here. He's using a metaphor. He's like, basically, you're either asleep or you're up to no good. So he said, you could say, wow, this age is up to no good. It's just up to us to go to sleep and wait till this age comes. But he says, no, that's not your calling. Your calling is to get up and live in this present age as though it's the middle of the day. Even though it's two in the morning and it's pitch black, you get up. Don't be sleeping. Get up. And live out the realm of the Spirit. Even though you're surrounded by the flesh, don't give it to the desires of the flesh realm. Live this out. Show people what it looks like to be God's community with no steps, with no divisions, with no inequities, with none of that. We're all equal. And, and the only weapon we have at our disposal are things like love, kindness, gentleness, and patience. That's how we're to operate. That will get me fired and that will get me left behind and everybody else is going to get promoted ahead of me. Are you here to get promoted or are you here to tell the truth about God's nature and character? That's a different mentality. And so he says, get up and live as though it's the middle of the day. I'm going to stop right there and let my wife kind of respond and, and share a little bit. I'm not going to let my wife. That was terrible language. I've asked my wife to come up and share. So I don't know about y'all, but a message like that is like, okay, I just want to go get in the bed and like curl up and wait. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's extremely challenging. Um, 
And I think the, the test for me is, you know, so you say, okay, you have these two rounds, whatever, you have these two rounds, like they're trying to utilize more black leaders. But I'm trying to be very challenging. I'm trying to be very challenging because I feel super grateful because I was raised in a, a community where, you know, if, if I had something, the expectation was for me to share with my brother and that sort of thing, so we kind of Thank you. Um, there, one of the things that really helps me um, when I just get down to get down to it is Second um, Corinthians five, where it talks about the ministry of reconciliation. It's like, okay, if our call is to tell the truth about God, and it's us, not me, what does that look like, and what does that mean? Um, hang on, one second. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so let's see. It says, and probably for time's sake, I'm going to start in verse 16. Um, oh, no, actually, I'll start in verse 14. It says, um, for, Christ's love, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And we all agree and say amen on that, right? (laughs) So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Sometimes that's not so easy, right? You know, it's not so easy because I can tell you, like, I go to Walmart or go to Target or whatever, you know, and immediately I can stand in the face of, judgment in my mind not so much as what I say but really what I'm thinking is what's in my heart you know nobody would ever know it but God always does um says therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us don't matter where you were born and it don't matter where you're gonna die But he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation, to telling the truth about God. That helps me to keep it simple. Do you know when I get into those spaces where um, I can get afraid or I can start to judge or I can start to you know, want to use power or want to use position or whatever, you know, to be the solution, um, I come back to a passage like this. It says, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. So there's never a point where I'm stepping out, you know, and saying, oh, my brothers and sisters, um, we don't necessarily agree on some of this other stuff, but now I'm going out on my own. Do you understand, Right. Um, it says, we are therefore ambassadors, so representatives, as though God were making, as though God were making his appeal through us. Dang, if I can say that in church. 
you know, um, that's a high calling. Um, it's a noble place to be, you know, that God would speak through us. Again, no matter where we were born, no matter where we'll die, no matter who we vote for, you know. Um, it encourages me when, uh, let's see, what's, what's your name? Jennifer was sharing the announcements. And the um, encouragement was, you know, if we have the up or if we have the capacity and feel compelled to support somebody else's meal, it's in the little things. Do you know it's in the little opportunities? And what I'm not saying is that anybody needs to feel coerced or forced or like you have to. But where the spirit moves, I think a lot of times we stand in the spirit's way. You know, or like Michael said, we're looking for something, but we miss what's right in front of us. The little things, you know, um, and then also where's our brother talked about the opportunity to um, to uh, to volunteer, you know, to really bring God's church outside of these four walls to be an ambassador in our community. It's in the little things. Um, it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I'll just leave it there. I feel like the scripture speaks for itself. Thank you all. Um, we're going to go ahead and pray for the Lord's Supper. Um, Thank you all for listening to us. We really appreciate being here with you all. Father, thank you so much for forming us together as family, as community, as a people. You rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from the realm of the present age, and brought us into Christ, into this overlap period. And... Through this meal, as we drink the cup and eat the bread, we declare that we are a community of image bearers. We are your people. We are one people in Christ. Help us to be that. Help us to be different. Help us to be that community of equality and tell the truth about your character through the way that we live. We thank you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.